This is day 29 of our daily Bible reading. We will be going through the book of Numbers, chapters 24 through 28 today. Lord, Heavenly Father, thank you for guiding us into your truth today, and thank you for just giving us the time to focus on you, to tune out the problems of the world and the temptations that are around us and our weaknesses that are so obvious to us, Lord, that despite these issues, you still love us and you want us to know you. Lord, that I pray that you will reveal yourself today in your in your word. In Jesus' name, amen. When Balaam saw that it pleased the Lord to bless Israel, he did not go, as at other times, to seek omens, but he set his face toward the wilderness. And Balaam lifted up his eyes and saw Israel camping, tribe by tribe, and the Spirit of God came upon him. He took up his discourse and said, The oracle of Balaam the son of Beor, and the oracle of the man whose eye is opened, the oracle of him who hears the words of God, who sees the vision of the Almighty, falling down, yet having his eyes uncovered. How fair are your tents, O Jacob, your dwellings, O Israel, like valleys that stretch out, like gardens beside the river, like aloes planted by the Lord, like cedars beside the waters. Water will flow from his buckets, and his seed will be by many waters. And his king shall be higher than Agag, and his kingdom shall be exalted. God brings him out of Egypt. He is for him like the horns of a wild ox. He will devour the nations who are his adversaries, and will crush their bones in pieces and shatter them with his arrows. He couches, he lies down as a lion, and as a lion, who dares rouse him? Blessed is everyone who blesses you, and cursed is everyone who curses you. Then Balak's anger burned against Balaam, and he struck his hands together, and Balak said to Balaam, I called you to curse my enemies, but behold, you have persisted in blessing them these three times. Therefore flee to your place now. I said I would honor you greatly, but behold, the Lord has held you back from honor. Balaam said to Balak, did I not tell your messengers whom you had sent to me, saying, Though Balak were to give me his house full of silver and gold, I could not do anything contrary to the command of the Lord, either good or bad, of my own accord? What the Lord speaks, that I will speak. And now behold, I am going to my people. Come, and I will advise you what this people will do to your people in the days to come. He took up his discourse and said, The oracle of Balaam, the son of Beor, and the oracle of the man whose eyes is open, the oracle of him who hears the words of God and knows the knowledge of the Most High, who sees the vision of the Almighty falling down, yet having his eyes uncovered. I see him, but not now. I behold him, but not near. A star shall come forth from Jacob. 
a scepter shall rise from Israel, and shall crush through the forehead of Moab, and tear down all the sons of Sheth. Edom shall be a possession. Seir, its enemies, also will be a possession, while Israel performs valiantly. One from Jacob shall have dominion, and will destroy the remnant from the city. And he looked at Amalek, and took up his discourse, and said, Amalek was the first of the nations, but his end shall be destruction. And he looked at the Kenite, and took up his discourse, and said, Your dwelling place is enduring, and your nest is set in the cliff. Nevertheless, Cain will be consumed. How long will Ashur keep you captive? Then he took up his discourse and said, Alas, who can live except God has ordained it? But ships shall come from the coast of Kittim, and they shall afflict Ashur and will afflict Eber. But they also will come to destruction. Then Balaam arose and departed and returned to his place, and Balak also went his way. While Israel remained at Shittim, the people began to play the harlot with the daughters of Moab, for they invited the people to the sacrifices of their gods, and the people ate and bowed down to their gods. So Israel joined themselves to Baal of Peor, and the Lord was angry against Israel. The Lord said to Moses, Take all the leaders of the people and execute them in broad daylight before the Lord, so that the fierce anger of the Lord may turn away from Israel. So Moses said to the judges of Israel, Each of you slay his men who have joined themselves to Baal of Peor. Then behold, one of the sons of Israel came and brought to his relatives a Midianite woman in the sight of Moses and in the sight of all the congregation of the sons of Israel, while they were weeping at the doorway of the tent of meeting. While Phinehas, the son of Eleazar, the son of Aaron the priest, saw it, he arose from the midst of the congregation and took a spear in his hand, and he went after the man of Israel into the tent and pierced both of them through, the man of Israel and the woman, through the body. So the plague on the sons of Israel was checked. Those who died by the plague were twenty-four thousand. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Phinehas, the son of Eleazar, the son of Aaron, the priest, has turned away my wrath from the sons of Israel, in that he was jealous with my jealousy among them, so that I did not destroy the sons of Israel in my jealousy. Therefore say, Behold, I give him my covenant of peace, and it shall be for him and his descendants after him, a covenant of a perpetual priesthood, because he was jealous for his God and made atonement for the sons of Israel. Now the name of the slain man of Israel, who was slain with the Midianite woman, was Zimri, the son of Salu, a leader of a father's household among the Simeonites. The name of the Midianite woman 
who was slain was Cosby, the daughter of Zur, who was head of the people of a father's household in Midian. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Be hostile to the Midianites and strike them, for they have been hostile to you with their tricks, with which they have deceived you in the affair of Peor and in the affair of Cosby, the daughter of the leader of Midian, their sister who was slain on the day of the plague because of Peor. And it came about after the plague that the Lord spoke to Moses and to Eleazar, the son of Aaron, the priest, saying, Take a census of all the congregation of the sons of Israel, from twenty years old and upward, by their father's households, whoever is able to go out to war in Israel. So Moses and Eleazar the priest spoke with them in the plains of Moab, by the Jordan, at Jericho, saying, Take a census of the people, from twenty years old and upward, as the Lord has commanded Moses. Now the sons of Israel who came out of the land of Egypt were Reuben, Israel's firstborn, the sons of Reuben, of Hanak, the family of the Hanakites, of Palu, the family of the Paluites, of Hezron, the family of the Hezronites, of Carmi, the family of the Carmiites. These are the families of the Reubenites, and those who were numbered of them were 43,730. The son of Palu, Eliab. The sons of Eliab, Nemuel, and Dathan, and Abiram. These are the Dathan and the Abiram, who were called by the congregation, who contended against Moses and against Aaron in the company of Korah, when they contended against the Lord. And the earth opened its mouth and swallowed them up along with Korah, when that company died, when the fire devoured 250 men, so that they became a warning. The sons of Korah, however, did not die. The sons of Simeon, according to their families, of Nemuel, the family of the Nemuelites, of Jamin, the family of the Jamanites, and Jacob, the family of the Jaconites, of Zerah, the family of the Zerites, of Shaul, the family of the Shaulites. These are the families of the Simeonites, 22,200. The sons of Gad, according to their families, of Zephon, the family of the Zephonites, of Hagi, the family of the Hagiites, of Shuni, the family of the Shunites, of Ozni, the family of the Oznites, of Eri, the family of the Arites, of Arad, the family of the Aradites, of Areli, the family of the Aralites. These are the families of the sons of Gad, according to those who were numbered of them, 40,500. The sons of Judah were Ur and Onan, but Ur and Onan died in the land of Canaan. The sons of Judah, according to their families, were of Shelah, the family of the Shelanites, of Perez, the family of the Perizzites, of Zerah, the family of the Zerites. 
The sons of Perez were of Hezron, the family of the Hezronites, of Hamul, the family of the Hamulites. These are the families of Judah, according to those who were numbered of them, 76,500. The sons of Issachar, according to their families, of Tola, the family of the Tolaites, of Puva, the family of the Punites, of Jashub, the family of the Jeshubites, of Shimron, the family of the Shimronites. These are the families of Issachar, according to those who were numbered of them, 64,300. The sons of Zebulun, according to their families, of Sered, the family of the Seredites, of Elon, the family of the Elonites, of Jaleel, the family of the Jalelites. These are the families of the Zebulonites, according to those who were numbered of them, 60,500. The sons of Joseph, according to their families, Manasseh and Ephraim. The sons of Manasseh, of Machir, the family of the Machirites. And Machir became the father of Gilead, of Gilead, the father of the Gileadites. These are the sons of Gilead, of Eazer, the family of the Eazerites, of Helek, the family of the Helekites, and of Asriel, the family of the Asrielites, and of Shechem, the family of the Shechemites, and of Shemidah, the family of the Shemidites, and of Hefer, the family of the Hepherites. Now Zelophehad, the son of Hepher, had no sons, but only daughters. And the names of the daughters of Zelophehad were Mala, Noah, Hogla, Milcah, and Tirzah. These are the families of Manasseh, and those who were numbered of them were 52,700. These are the sons of Ephraim, according to their families, of Shuthalah, the family of the Shuthalites, of Becher, the family of the Becherites, of Tahan, the family of the Tahanites. These are the sons of Shuthalah, of Aaron, the family of the Aaronites. These are the families of the sons of Ephraim, according to those who were numbered of them, 32,500. These are the sons of Joseph, according to their families. The sons of Benjamin, according to their families, of Bela, the family of the Belaites, of Ashbel, the family of the Ashbelites, of Ahiram, the family of the Ahiramites, of Shephupham, the family of the Shephumites, of Hufam, the family of the Hufamites. The sons of Bela were Ard and Naaman, of Ard, the family of the Ardites, of Naaman, the family of the Naamites. These are the sons of Benjamin, according to their families, and those who were numbered of them were 45,600. These are the sons of Dan, according to their families, of Shuham, the family of the Shuhamites. These are the families of Dan, according to their families. All the families of the Shuhamites, according to those who were numbered of them, were 64,400.
the sons of Asher, according to their families, of Imnah, the family of the Imnites, of Ishvi, the family of the Ishvites, of Bariah, the family of the Barites, of the sons of Bariah, of Heber, the family of the Heberites, of Malkiel, the family of the Malkielites. The name of the daughter of Asher was Sarah. These are the families of the sons of Asher, according to those who were numbered of them. 53,400. The sons of Naphtali, according to their families. Of Jaziel, the family of the Jazielites. Of Guni, the family of the Gunites. Of Jezer, the family of the Jezerites. Of Shalem, the family of the Shilamites. These are the families of Naphtali, according to their families. And those who were numbered of them were 45,400. These are those who were numbered of all the sons of Israel, 601,730. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Among these the land shall be divided for an inheritance according to the number of names. To the larger group you shall increase their inheritance, and to the smaller group you shall diminish their inheritance. Each shall be given their inheritance according to those who were numbered of them. But the land shall be divided by lot. They shall receive their inheritance according to the names of the tribes of their fathers. According to the selection by lot, their inheritance shall be divided between the larger and the smaller groups. These are those who are numbered of the Levites according to their families, of Gershon, the family of the Gershonites, of Kohath, the family of the Kohathites, of Merari, the family of the Merarites. These are the families of Levi, the family of the Libnites, the family of the Hebronites, the family of the Maliites, the family of the Mushites, the family of the Korites. Kohath became the father of Amram. The name of Amram's wife was Jochebed, the daughter of Levi, who was born to Levi in Egypt. And she bore to Amram Aaron and Moses and their sister Miriam. To Aaron were born Nadab and Abihu, Eleazar and Ithamar. But Nadab and Abihu died when they offered strange fire before the Lord. Those who were numbered of them were twenty-three thousand, every male from a month old and upward, for they were not numbered among the sons of Israel, since no inheritance was given to them among the sons of Israel. These are those who were numbered by Moses and Eleazar the priest, who numbered the sons of Israel in the plains of Moab by the Jordan at Jericho. But among these there was not a man of those who were numbered by Moses and Aaron the priest, but numbered, who numbered the sons of Israel in the wilderness of Sinai. For the Lord had said of them, They shall surely die in the wilderness. And not a man was left of them, except Caleb the son of Jephunneh and Joshua the son of Nun. Then the daughters of Zelophehad, 
the son of Hepher, the son of Gilead, the son of Machir, the son of Manasseh, of the families of Manasseh, the son of Joseph, came near. And these are the names of his daughters, Mala, Noah, and Hogla, and Milcah, and Tirzah. They stood before Moses and before Eleazar the priest, and before the leaders and all the congregation at the doorway of the tent of meeting, saying, Our father died in the wilderness, yet he was not among the company of those who gathered themselves together against the Lord in the company of Korah. But he died in his own sin, and he had no sons. Why should the name of our father be withdrawn from among his family, because he had no son? Give us a possession among our father's brothers. So Moses brought their case before the Lord. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, The daughters of Zelophehad are right in their statements. You shall surely give them a hereditary possession among their father's brothers, and you shall transfer the inheritance of their father to them. Further, you shall speak to the sons of Israel, saying, If a man dies and has no son, then you shall transfer his inheritance to his daughter. If he has no daughter, then you shall give his inheritance to his brothers. If he has no brothers, then you shall give his inheritance to his father's brothers. If his father has no brothers, then you shall give his inheritance to his nearest relative and his own family, and he shall possess it. And it shall be a statutory ordinance to the sons of Israel, just as the Lord commanded Moses. Then the Lord said to Moses, Go up to this mountain at Abarim, and see the land which I have given to the sons of Israel. When you have seen it, you too will be gathered to your people, as Aaron your brother was. For in the wilderness of Zin, during the strife of the congregation, you rebelled against my command to treat me as holy before their eyes at the water. These are the waters of Meribah of Kadesh in the wilderness of Zin. Then Moses spoke to the Lord, saying, May the Lord, the God of the spirits of all flesh, appoint a man over the congregation, who will go out and come in before them, and who will lead them out and bring them in, so that the congregation of the Lord will not be like sheep who have no shepherd. So the Lord said to Moses, Take Joshua, the son of Nun, a man in whom is the Spirit, and lay your hand on him. And have him stand before Eleazar the priest, and before all the congregation, and commission him in their sight. You shall put some of your authority on him, in order that all the congregation of the sons of Israel may obey him. Moreover, he shall stand before Eleazar the priest, who shall inquire for him by the judgment of the Urim before the Lord. At his command they shall go out, and at his command they shall come in, both he and the sons of Israel with him, even all the congregation. 
Moses did just as the Lord commanded him. And he took Joshua and set him before Eleazar the priest and before all the congregation. Then he laid his hands on him and commissioned him, just as the Lord had spoken through Moses. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Command the sons of Israel, and say to them, You shall be careful to present my offering, my food for my offerings by fire, of a soothing aroma to me at their appointed time. You shall say to them, This is the offering by fire which you shall offer to the Lord, two male lambs, one year old, without defect, as a continual burnt offering every day. You shall offer the one lamb in the morning, and the other lamb you shall offer at twilight. Also, a tenth of an ephah of fine flour for a grain offering, mixed with a fourth of a hin of beaten oil. It is a continual burnt offering, which was ordained in Mount Sinai as a soothing aroma, an offering by fire to the Lord. Then the drink offering with it shall be a fourth of a hen for each lamb. In the holy place you shall pour out a drink offering of strong drink to the Lord. The other lamb you shall offer at twilight, as the grain offering of the morning and as its drink offering. You shall offer it an offering by fire, a soothing aroma to the Lord. Then, on the Sabbath day, two male lambs, one year old, without defect, and two-tenths of an ephah of fine flour mixed with oil as a grain offering and its drink offering. This is the burnt offering of every Sabbath in addition to the continual burnt offering and its drink offering. Then at the beginning of each of your months, you shall present a burnt offering to the Lord, two bulls and one ram, seven male lambs, one year old, without defect, and three-tenths of an ephah of fine flour mixed with oil for a grain offering. For each bull, and for two-tenths of fine flour mixed with oil for a grain offering for the one ram, and a tenth of an ephah of fine flour mixed with oil for a grain offering for each lamb, for a burnt offering of a soothing aroma, an offering by fire to the Lord. Their drink offerings shall be half a hen of wine for the bull, and a third of a hen for the ram, and a fourth of a hen for a lamb. This is the burnt offering of each month throughout the months of the year and one male goat for a sin offering to the Lord. It shall be offered with its drink offering in addition to the continual burnt offering. Then on the fourteenth day of the first month shall be the Lord's Passover. On the fifteenth day of this month shall be a feast. Unleavened bread shall be eaten for seven days. On the first day shall be a holy convocation. You shall do no laborious work. You shall present an offering by fire, a burnt offering to the Lord, two bulls and one ram and seven male lambs, one year old, having them without defect. For their grain offering, 
you shall offer fine flour mixed with oil, three-tenths of an ephah for a bull, and two-tenths for the ram, a tenth of an ephah you shall offer for each of the seven lambs, and one male goat for a sin offering to make atonement for you. You shall present these besides the burnt offering of the morning, which is for a continual burnt offering. After this manner, you shall present daily, for seven days, the food of the offering by fire, of a soothing aroma to the Lord. It shall be presented with its drink offering in addition to the continual burnt offering. On the seventh day, you shall have a holy convocation. You shall do no laborious work. Also, on the day of the first fruits, when you present a new grain offering to the Lord in your Feast of Weeks, you shall have a holy convocation. You shall do no laborious work. You shall offer a burnt offering for a soothing aroma to the Lord. Two young bulls, one ram, seven male lambs, one year old, and their grain offering, fine flour mixed with oil, three-tenths of an ephah for each bull, two-tenths for the one ram, a tenth for each of the seven lambs, also one male goat to make atonement for you. Besides the continual burnt offering and its grain offering, you shall present them with their drink offerings. They shall be without defect. And thus we come to the end of our reading today. Now let's go back to chapter 24 and see what's going on here. So we see that Balaam, as before, was kind of playing both sides of the field. He went so that he could see what material things he could get out of this. But he seemed to have a good understanding of the situation here from the very first line you see that. When Balaam saw that it pleased the Lord to bless Israel, he did not go as other times to seek omens, but he set his face toward the wilderness. Balaam lifted up his eyes and saw Israel camping, and the Spirit of God came upon him. The Holy Spirit fell upon him and gave him the prophetic words that we see here. And what's very interesting about some of these prophetic words are obviously they're all going to come true, right? We understand that. But it's a prediction of prosperity and that nations that Israel blesses will be blessed and nations that curse Israel will be cursed. And we also see a very specific prophecy here in verse 7. And his king shall be higher than Agag. Who is Agag? Agag is actually the name of a king that Samuel kills. And this is much later. You know, we're talking about a few hundred years later that this man Agag is going to come into existence. So this is one of two times that I know of besides um, Cyrus that there is a specific name given in the prophecies for somebody who will come in the future. That is really cool. That not only is God giving precise prophecies about things that will happen within the nation of Israel, 
but even by name, he calls people by name. So it matches up with the, you know, the theme of scripture where he calls us by name and he designates people by name as well. So very, very interesting to see that. And then we see the prediction of the destruction of enemies. And not only do we see that, but we also see a prediction of the Messiah, of Jesus Christ here in the second oracle, where it says here, I see him, verse 17, I see him, but not now. I behold him, but not near. Just, it's not yet. He hasn't come yet, but he will come. A star shall come forth from Jacob. A scepter shall rise from Israel. What does that sound like? That sounds like Christ, doesn't it? He is the star and the scepter. And we see this language in Isaiah. We see this in Revelation, the exact same language to describe Christ. And we also see that all these other people that are against Israel will be utterly destroyed. We see Edom. They had their chance to work with the people of Israel, and they turned them away. Seir is another name for Edom as well, if you're wondering. Then you see the Amalekites are being cursed, but then you see the Kenites are being blessed. And so uh, we'll see some more about the Kenites later on, but um, they will be blessed exactly as spoken. And that's all we see for Balaam for now. We will see him once again, and then we will see his true colors at that time. You'll see what I mean later. And then we come back to chapter 25, where we see a very familiar theme with the Israelite people. Now, bear in mind, this is the same nation, but not the same people. Okay, Why do I say that? Because you're going to see here at the end of the census, it says however many number of people there were uh, after they did the census, right? But there's also a line that it says at the end of that census. It said, let me go to it real quickly here. It said here, okay, that um, among these people that were numbered in the wilderness, right? Uh, chapter 26, verse 64. But among these, there was not a man of those who were numbered by Moses and Aaron who numbered the sons of Israel in the wilderness of Sinai. For the Lord had said of them, they shall surely die in the wilderness. And not a man was left of them, except for Caleb and Joshua. So do you understand what's going on here? These people that are being counted here are the next generation. These are not the same ones who sinned and complained and argued with God throughout the 40 years in the desert. Those 40 years have already passed, and these are the children of these are the ones that are actually going to go into the land. And so they are not the same people who were the original people from the Exodus. They may have been children when they left Egypt, but the parents and the grandparents that left Egypt have already passed away. This is God said would happen. So these, as we saw the number at the end, over 601,000 men or from the current generation. So, these people 
again followed in the footsteps of their parents and started playing the harlot with the daughters of Moab. God was very specific in his law that they should not intermingle with the neighboring nations because, as he said, they will lead Israel astray. And sure enough, that's exactly what happened. They brought in daughters of Moab, were also, and prostitution was a very big thing in the worship of Baal. Um, so obviously that was all very sexual, very uh, lewd, and God hates that. And so he got angry. And, you know, we would think that it's a little harsh and extreme, but God is making a point with these people that there are no exceptions to my rules. And this is how seriously I take my covenant and how seriously I take my laws. There will be no one who transgresses my law and gets away with it. Nobody gets a free pass. If I say something is a certain way, it will be exactly as I said. And I have to act according to my own justice, for it's my very nature. But also, if I do not do anything, then I am showing partiality, I'm showing favoritism, and I'm not really just. And how serious do you want us to take this? You will lose your life over it. You will not be allowed to live if you transgress my laws to this degree. And so that's why God said to Moses, execute the leaders before the Lord, the ones who did this. Execute them. And then we see that that happened. Now what's very interesting is you see that there was a plague that was on Israel, that 24,000 people died. I guess there was a plague and the slaughter of people in the process, so I don't know if it was both at the same time or all the people they killed were 24,000, but I don't think it was really that many. So there's probably a combination of pestilence and this punishing act here. And then you see Phinehas step up and be the priest that God wants to see. Where he goes, he took great offense to what God was offended with. Grabbed a spear and he, just, he killed those two people who had transgressed the law. And the Lord was impressed with that. He said, Phinehas turned away my wrath because he was jealous with my jealousy among them. So that I did not destroy the sons of Israel in my jealousy. And he gets a reward, a covenant of peace. That his descendants will be perpetually priests. And that's beautiful. God rewards those who love him and seek him. But what's important to get from here is you see this jealousy. That we are jealous for the things that God is jealous about. If we know, for example, we're in the workplace, we're at the grocery store, or even with family, and somebody uses the Lord's name in vain, cussing and flavoring their sentences, so to speak, with the name of God, that really should bother us that that person is using that name so casually 
not understanding what kind of power is behind that name. Are we going to accept it? Are we going to keep our mouth shut, pretend like we didn't hear it? Or are we going to say something? Because if we were jealous for God, the way that God wants us to be jealous for him, we would say something, say, you do not say that name in my presence. Please do not offend my God in such a way. We should say something. If we see something that is obviously against God's rules, against God's nature, that opposes God in any way, we should be outspoken about it. Unfortunately, we're at a period of history where everything political these days seems to be in direct opposition to God. And I don't think there's a coincidence behind that. There are no coincidences with God. The forces of Satan are highly active and have hijacked government for this very thing. And so if you see people react in such a crazy way to things like anti-abortion, anti-free speech, so on and so forth, all these different things, it's religious, it's spiritual issues. It's not just, you know, political. There are some things like, you know, there's nowhere in the Bible that says you have to bear arms, right? For example, the Second Amendment. There, there's no law in the Bible about that, so that's obviously not something we should debate at church. But the things that are of God, like the sanctity of life, the freedom of religion, freedom of hatred and slavery and racism, all those things should be not among us. That should be something that is not, we have nothing to do with that. We stay as far away as that from that as possible. And if somebody is actively doing these things in our presence or in our knowledge, we should be saying something about it. And by doing so, not only are we being jealous for God's jealousy, but in the process, that may give you an opportunity to share the gospel with these people. And it gives you spiritual credibility with the people around you to show you're, you're different and you're standing up for something that is morally and spiritually right. They may hate you for it on the other flip side, but it's still the right thing to do because overall, we're not trying to oppress people. I hope that it's not because we're trying to be people pleasers. The only person that we should be pleasing is our God. Some people will have trouble with that, but that is the reality of the world around us. That the world is going to pass away. And the favor of people is going to pass away. And one minute they'll love you, but the next minute you'll be long forgotten or they'll stab you in the back. But God doesn't do that. God commands us to worship him only and to be jealous for the things that he's jealous of. And the biggest thing he's jealous of is our affections. Are we affectionate toward him first? Are there any other gods before him? Are there any idols that we've placed in front of him? And if there are, we need to destroy them. Not just set them aside, not just save them for later, but literally, utterly destroy them, forget about them, remove them from our life. 
Otherwise, we cannot move forward. God will not honor it if we try to make peace with the things of this world, because when we make peace with things of this world, we become enemies of God. Anything in this world opposes God. Now, when, again, when I mean world, I'm talking about the systems of the world, not the world itself, the creation. I'm talking about the systems of the world. So be very careful with that. So we saw the nation of Israel steeped in idolatry, and they paid the price for it. And then we see them go through the census again, but this time the census of the new generation. And then there were laws of inheritance, how if the patriarch had no sons, then the daughters could get the inheritance. And then it's very clear as you go down the list, there, there were other things that needed to be done if there were any debates on it. There's a pretty prescribed thing to do for inheritances. So then we see Moses commission Joshua, or rather the Lord commissioned Joshua um, to give him authority now, as well as when Moses is taken and, and his life is over, then Joshua is already installed as the leader. And it is not a surprise to anyone. Now, something I meant to mention a few episodes ago, but like it says here in chapter 27, verse 21, Moreover, he shall stand before Eliezer the priest and sh shall inquire for him by the judgment of the Urim before the Lord. Now, earlier in the scripture, especially during the time of the high priest's um, garments and the equipment he had to wear, there mentions something called the Urim and the Thummim. What exactly is that? And I wish I had the answer for you, but there are speculations as to what they could be, but they appear to be two different kinds of stones or two different kinds of gems or you know something like that somehow they use they do something with them you probably casting lots of some fashion and through the urim and the thummim the high priest would be able to discern the will of god now there were some like moses that god spoke directly to them but there are other times where it will say that so-and-so inquired of the Lord. Now, because sometimes, especially we'll see this like in, in the book of Samuel and in the book of the Kings, when David is uh, trying to inquire of the Lord, it's not necessarily that he's talking to him. Sometimes when it says that he's, they are inquiring of the Lord, it is through the, the or Urim and the Thummim. Is not a direct revelation from God, mouth to mouth. So somehow, some way, in some mysterious fashion, these two things would they would ask questions, and then they would do something with these stones or whatever, and they would determine what God's will was. I don't know if it's as simple as one was the yes stone and one was the no stone, and somehow they lit up. It's not very clear in the Bible, but that's about all I know for the Urim and the Thummim. But they're very mysterious, and 
me being of my nature, I really want to understand it myself, but the Bible does not give very clear wording about what they do, how you use them, what they look like. There's really nothing like that described in the Bible. So that's just going to be one of the mysteries that we'll carry with us throughout our lives. But we don't need it anymore. We don't need the Urim and the Thummim. Why? Because God speaks to us directly through the Holy Spirit. Again, it's not necessarily in words, but he speaks to our souls. And those of you who have been a Christian for a while know exactly what I'm talking about. But there's those that's so hard to describe, too. Sometimes it is audible words. I've had that, even if you heard my testimony. God spoke to me in an audible voice that only I could hear. I know some people have trouble accepting or believing me in that, and I would too if I if you took it at face value. But my life changing so dramatically after that experience was proof and evidence that what it was was godly. Because again, the will of God is everything like it says in Romans 12.1. says, we to help us determine what the will of God is. Everything that is good and acceptable and perfect. So if it's not good, it's not acceptable, and it's not perfect, it's not from God. But the direct outcome of that circumstance, I was a changed man. It was of God. Guaranteed. But... You know what I'm saying, though, when it comes to how the Holy Spirit just speaks to you, or like you feel you, you, images or words or ideas pop into your head, and it lines up with the narrative of Scripture and with the consistency of God's plans for us. Everything that He's revealed Himself to be in the Bible, it lines up with those things. And we just have that confidence and that assurance, that peace about certain things. God uses those as our Urim and Thummim because back then, in this time, 35, almost 3,500 years ago, they needed a middleman to understand God's will. The middleman is Jesus Christ for us. And because we have the promised Holy Spirit sealed within us, we have direct access to God at all times. Isn't that wonderful? He's not unavailable to us. He is always there and ready to listen to our complaints and to listen to our requests. But more than that, he's there to instruct us. And he's there to spend time with, just have a relationship with him. And I, that's something that I will not stop talking about because that is what is lacking in your average Christian today. The lack of relationship with our God in your private life. Spend some time with the Lord, not only studying his word and praising him for it, but seek him. Seek his face. And like it says, you will seek me and find me when you seek me without your heart. And God's not a liar, so it has to be true. So that's all I have for today.
we will pick this up tomorrow. And until then, I'm Ryan. Have a great day, and God bless you. Take care.